I realized that if if there was ever a change, you know, that was going to happen or if I was going to start my own business, this was what I needed to do. It was like my calling. I really it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And in October of 2021, I started Pliable. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. Greg Glenn is the founder and CEO of Pliable Marketing in Augusta, Maine. He worked for many years in sports broadcasting and sports marketing. In the summer of 2021, when longstanding rules surrounding NCAA athletes profiting from name image likeness, or NIL, were changed, Greg saw an opportunity to start his company. We're going to talk with Greg today to understand how those rule changes drove the creation of his business, how he is helping athletes create a personal brand that they can profit from, and how he's really helping to prepare those athletes for a post-athletic successful career. Let's talk to Greg. Welcome, Greg, to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Andrea. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be with you. Can we start a little bit with your background? Give us a little bit of a history of where you grew up and sort of what got you into sports media. Absolutely. So when I was growing up, I played sports just like every kid. It started with even gymnastics and, you know, baseball and soccer. And I tried them all. And, you know, I went then to high school, Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School in in Massachusetts. I played, you know, golf. I played hockey. I played baseball. And and then what happened my sophomore year was I went in for my annual physical, just like every kid does, you know, to get cleared for camps and sports and everything else. And my doctor told me that I had a a slipped disc in my lower back. Uh, I knew my back kind of (laughs) hurt, but I was an athlete. I was like, I'm not going to, you know, let this stop me or whatever. And so uh, then she said, well, it's pretty serious. And she said, if you continue to play hockey, you might be able to be hit in a certain way that might paralyze you from the waist down. And I said, okay. And that kind of was a shock to my system, but I obviously wanted to, that was my favorite sport. You know, that was, that was my sport. I didn't want it taken away from me. And so I had to figure out what was I going to do to stay involved. And I was grateful for the opportunity that my local cable access channel had to televise the games. And I joined with a friend of mine and we started broadcasting the games and (laughs) it was amateur hour at best, but it was experience and we had a good time doing it. And that gave me kind of a leg up because I started to realize what I wanted to do in my career uh, because I knew now how much I love broadcasting. I knew how much I love sports and I put the two together and I I wanted to go to a school that was going to give me that opportunity to do broadcasting. And that's what Quinnipiac University was for me. So you were broadcasting your high school hockey games? Yep. So it was great because I knew all the players. I knew all their, you know, characteristics. We could talk about what they like to eat. We could we could talk about them for days. So when I went to Quinnipiac and, you know, you're fighting for airtime with other kids on the radio station, the TV station, and I can come in and say, I've got two years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> that gave me a huge leg up. And uh, that's kind of turned into what I have done at Pliable, which is, give these athletes a leg up by starting their careers earlier and starting to think about their careers before they're done with sports, because that's what I had to do. When I had that doctor's appointment, 
and I realized that that I was not going to play professional sports, there was there was a huge wake up moment there. Sure. So you ended up at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. And was that a continuation of studying broadcast media or what were you studying while there? Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to get into broadcasting. So that gave me another leg up because I was focused on broadcasting schools. And Quinnipiac was well known uh, for their mass communications program. I had a concentration in broadcast journalism. And then I minored in marketing, which may have been the best thing I ever did because that gave me two angles to go with my career. And I have literally used both of them every day of my life since. So, So I was able to Go to Quinnipiac. I then broadcast the men's ice hockey games actually on the commercial radio station, which is a huge thing as a student. You're you're usually on the student radio station. But I had earned that position by writing for U.S. College Hockey Magazine. And one of the assistant coaches was actually doing the color at the time. And he didn't want to do it. He really wanted to be coach. You know, he wanted to have more responsibility as a coach. And uh, Bill Schweitzer, who to this day is a huge mentor of mine, was the broadcaster. And he said, hey, Greg, would you like to come up here and do this? So then some hockey games opened up for me to do the play-by-play. And so I started doing that. I did it all four years when I was there. And I'll look back at that as that is a huge opportunity I had in my career. So, Greg, your career eventually brought you to Portland with the Portland Pirates, which is the minor league hockey team in Portland. So can you tell us a little bit about what your role was with the Portland Pirates? Absolutely. So when I was at Quinnipiac, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do in my broadcasting career. And I put together all my they were <laughs> demo tapes at that point, cassettes, and then I put them on, you know, CDs and I would send out CDs to all the American League hockey teams, East Coast Hockey League teams, hoping that somebody would just get back to me. We actually had a situation where one of our goalies at Quinnipiac, his name was Justin Eddy. He actually signed a contract with the Washington Capitals, who at the time was the affiliate of the Portland Pirates. So I was like, man, wouldn't this be cool if we have a Quinnipiac goalie and a Quinnipiac, you know, grad go off to be in the American Hockey League together. So I made sure I got that Pirates one out pretty quick and uh, I ended up getting a call back and I couldn't, you know, believe it. I was ready to get on a, you know, in my car right then and there. And I so I drove up and uh, we met actually at Becky's Diner. I had my first interview. And, you know, they were excited to have me as a young kid who was ready to do anything. And, and as people know, minor league sports, you will do anything and everything. So you, you got to buckle up and get ready. Sure. So as part of that, I was handling the team services. So hotels, meals and doing all the scheduling. I was also doing our community appearances, player appearances. I was also handling marketing, you know, responsibilities, not all of it. We had a great team, but I was handling the press releases, the media relations for all the players. And that was kind of where I started to get a little glimpse into athlete branding and into the education that just has not been there for some of these athletes and really trying to set them up for success in their career because they're young athletes coming in. You know, they're coming out of either junior hockey or they're coming from, you know, being in the, you know, minor leagues, maybe somewhere else. And they've never been given professional media training. And so I was helping them out with that as we introduced them to radio stations and TV stations. And that really got me a huge network, obviously, in the Portland market as far as relationships go with the media. And I still have relationships with them today. And and I'm very grateful for those relationships as well, because that's really been a really big part about what Pliable is doing now, too. 
And then post-Pirates, you started with Marshall Communications. Can you tell us a little bit about what that role was? And was there sort of an opportunity to continue that sports marketing that it sounded like had sort of become your passion at that point? So great question, because I really enjoyed my time at the Pirates. And I then had to make a decision when I had a back surgery. We talked about that back surgery and the situation I held my back. So eventually that caught up with me when I joined Marshall Communications here in Augusta. Very grateful for that opportunity. Met my wife here in Augusta. And I enjoyed every moment that I was at Marshall Nancy and the team there are great. But you're right, there was kind of this missing element of the sports. And I was able to work on a few projects that were sports related, you know, going back to the Gaziano Awards that National Distributors does. I was working with the Main Beer and Wine Distributors Association with Olympian Julia Kluke. And I've even worked on the American Lung Association's Trek Across Maine. So a little bit of sports that was, you know, kind of intertwined in the work I was doing. But it was the work with Julia that really opened my eyes again to what athlete branding could be because she became the spokesperson for the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association. And we did presentations at high schools across the state. We did over 60 schools. I and mean, we were going on the road and we were spending a lot of time together and she was getting interviews. And I was kind of, we worked on building her a website and a logo and everything else so she could represent, you know, the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors to the best of her ability. And uh, it was an amazing time. And that also opened my eyes. That was more than 10 years ago now. And that was athlete branding before it is what it is today. So let's talk about that a little bit. You talked a few times now about athlete branding, and we're going to get into it a little bit more deeply. But for listeners who may not sort of be familiar with athlete branding or NIL, name image likeness, can you give us a little bit of the, the history of what athlete branding has been like for collegiate and high school athletes and sort of how those rules have evolved over time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really a lot of people don't realize this because name, image, and likeness came out really on the scene here in the last really two years. It's been talked about more than most, but you really have to go back to what I think is an important case, actually. Back in 2014, there was a former UCLA basketball player Ed O'Bannon, who actually had a class action case involving numerous individuals that claimed the rights of their publicity were violated by using their likeness in video games. Okay, and so that's where this started. And he actually filed this case against the NCAA back. This was in August of 2014. And then the decision came down that the NCAA was in violation of antitrust law by restricting payment to student-athletes. And this led the NCAA to changing scholarship restrictions to allow for the first time institutions to provide full cost of attendance scholarships, okay? So it made a huge difference. And then there was also California's Fair Pay to Play Act. And that, again, was the fact that the athletes deserved to be able to use their name, image, and likeness and benefit from the publicity of being an athlete. And then that's when it started to really evolve. That was even in October of 2019. After California passed that Fair Pay to Play Act, that's when a lot of people saw this coming. So when I say that it was evolving and we've been dealing with this for the last two years, this actually goes back quite a ways. And there's been a lot of people and a lot of organizations that knew this time was coming. And I think quite honestly, there's going to be a lot more 
that even happens. So I think this is really just the tip of the iceberg. So then you've given us, thank you, a good sort of summary of what the history of that was like. Now fast forward to summer of 2021, and there were changes to that name and image likeness rule that really opened up the doors for everything. So what came down in the summer of 2021 that really changed everything? Yeah, so this one really involves, again, the NCAA versus Alston and the idea that the United States Supreme Court, so now we're talking about the Supreme Court, ruled against the NCAA in a decision that stated that the organization is not exempt from these antitrust regulations simply because of its academic responsibilities. And so, though not directly related to nil, the Alston case opened the door for academic-related compensation for student-athletes and signaled that the NCA could face further legal consequences in the future. So that then meant that the NCAA realized, uh-oh, and so they started and they adopted an interim nil policy, and that meant that all three NCA divisions adopted uniform, temporary rule changes that permit name, image, and likeness activity for student athletes, okay? So now they're basically allowing it. And on July 1st, that's when student athletes literally started signing deals. The Cavender twins are known for it. They started this, and there were several other athletes at that moment when the clock struck 12.01 that they had signed deals. And to this day, athletes now are allowed to do this. There are several other aspects involved, but that is really how this started and now how it's evolving very quickly. So talk about a day that changed everything. So that was essentially the day that sort of allowed you the opportunity to start your business as it is today, Pliable Marketing. How do you kind of decide to take that plunge to start your business? So I think when that happened, it opened my eyes to the fact that the world was going to change. The, the world of college sports, the world of high school sports, the world of pro sports was going to change because now it was something that was more publicly known and was going to be available, essentially, for athletes to realize that they could brand themselves. So I, of course, was passionate about sports. I was passionate about branding. That's like life's my jam, you know? And so then I also wanted to take all of this experience with the marketing, the PR, the broadcasting that I do across the state, across the country, okay? And I can apply this directly to athletes who need the help more than anybody because they don't have the background. They haven't even been through college yet, <laughs> you know? Like, and that's a huge opportunity. And uh, I realized that if, if there was ever a change, you know, that was going to happen, or if I was going to start my own business, this was what I needed to do. It was like my calling. I really, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. And in October of 2021, I started Pliable. And so who was the first athlete that you signed to Pliable? Yep. So the first athlete, I call her the original. She is Kaylin Bork. And Kaylin Bork at the time was 15 years old out of Benton, Maine. And I was doing a broadcast with her dad, who owns Epic View Studios, and he was filming the games and streaming them. And I was doing the play-by-play -play like I've always done. And I saw her and I said, I knew her name was Bork, obviously. And then I made the connection. I'm like, Brian, that your daughter? And he's like, yeah. I said, she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I, you know, I started my own company now. And I said, I specialize in athlete branding. 
would you be interested in working together to help her try and, you know, play division one ice hockey? And he was like, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Cause he's in marketing. So he gets it, you know? And I was like, this is an amazing opportunity for both of us. And sure enough, she becomes the first athlete at the age of 15 to start working with pliable. And I think it's a really, it's a wake up call for a lot of these athletes that this is how early it can start. And it needs to start. If you want to start marketing yourself, especially if you're from Maine or if you're from Benton, Maine, and she'll tell you she's in the woods, you know, like you need to market yourself so you can get seen. You need a good recruiting video. You need to start marketing yourself. You need to make sure your your letters look good. Your 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 website profile on NCSA looks good. There are so many tactics that we can, you know, use to her advantage. That's why I'm here. So you sign her and then how are you growing your client base? And is it is it high school athletes like her that you're going after? Are you going after the college athletes? Is it a combination? How are you growing that client base? So I call myself a relationship company in the sense that when I work with an athlete, I'm going to have a point of contact that has brought me typically to that athlete. And it may, in some cases, be me personally that sees them play like I did with Caitlin. But the idea is that I am growing it based on relationships I have with good people because I want to work with good athletes and probably most importantly, good people. Because that's the brand that I want Pliable to be known for. I could be working with athletes across the country easily. But the idea is that I want to build it around good people, have good values. And so one of the ways that I've done it is through my relationships. We talk about a story, right? So go back to the Portland Pirates days. Jeff Godo was a ticket sales rep with the Portland Pirates when I was there, okay? He is now the athletic director at Mount Ararat High School. I said to Jeff Godo when I started my business, Jeff, I want to come present to your high school athletes about name, image, and likeness so we can help prepare them for what's ahead. And he said, absolutely. Come on down with chat. And I said, okay, cool. So I went down, chatted with him. And he said, you know, you could come here present. He said, but, but do you know who Caleb Manuel is? And I said, no, who's Caleb Manuel? <laughs> and so he goes, well, Caleb wants to play on the PGA Tour. And I said, all right, let's connect with Caleb. And that was the summer that I'll never forget because he ends up signing with Pliable because of that relationship that was there. And he then goes and he was he was in the U.S. Open qualifier and purchased New York. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're in the you're in the U.S. Open qualifier. This is amazing. I'm like, you have a chance to maybe do this. I'm going to come and I'm going to film your highlights. We're going to send this back to Maine and it'll be great. You're like, I'm thinking this is really cool. So. I send them all back. It works out perfect. All the main stations took the footage. They loved it. And he qualified for the U.S. Open. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is going on right now? And so he, he qualifies. We go to the U.S. Open together. I film his highlights at the U.S. Open because main media aren't going to have the time to go down to Brookline, Massachusetts and do the highlights because, quite honestly, it's going to be the major guys that are going to get all the attention and the story, though, right? So it's about every athlete has a story. The story for Maine and the Maine media is Caleb Manuel. Sure. You know? So you need somebody there that's going to tell that Caleb Manuel story. And that's why I was there. And that's why Caleb is a pliable athlete. And now he transfers to the University of Georgia. He wants to play on the tour. So he knows he's got to up his game. And 
you know, I helped him with that and, and helping him get out there. And he's got sponsorship opportunities and nil opportunities that are coming his way for sure. We're going to take one quick break and then we will be back talking with Greg Glenn, the founder of Pliable Marketing. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. The mental health aspect of an athlete going from the confidence that they have in their sport, performing at the highest level, now I have to transition to figuring out my professional career outside of sports. We are back talking with Greg Glenn of Pliable Marketing. Greg, you were talking about working with these athletes and signing them to your program. And so I'm just curious kind of how that works for your business model. How does signing these athletes generate revenue for your company? So typically what will happen is when I sign an athlete, they will sign on to be a pliable athlete, which means they know that they're going to represent not only my company, but they're part of this brand and they're part of what I call the pliable family of athletes. And we're all going to work together. I'm building a network at the end of the day, a network of athletes who are good people that are going to help each other. I work with high school, college, and professional athletes to build their athlete brand. And that can be nil opportunities or it can be media relations, you know? So the idea is that when you become a pliable athlete, if you do name, image, and likeness opportunities, I then will make 20%. You know, if it's a gift card for 500, then I'm making $100, you know, just to, to help. And there's a lot that goes into trying to build a relationship, whether it's with a national brand or whether it's quite honestly with a local brand, that can take a lot of time. I mean, there's, there's relationships I've been working on now for over a month and a half, you know, but when they eventually sign, that's well worth it to the athlete. And it's well worth it to me because I know they're going to benefit from it. Sure. So, so that's how the model works. So how many, how many athletes are under the pliable brand at this point? Yep. So there are nine athletes right now and they range from high school to Olympian. And the idea is that we're all working together. Everybody's at a different stage. <laughs> you know, that's the beauty of it. And then the idea here is that they will all help each other. And that comes with a level of expectation when you're a pliable athlete. You're going to help somebody else who needs the same help that you needed to get to the next step in your career. So everybody's going to help each other. And it was a proud moment for me when I was actually recently able to introduce Caitlin Bork, okay, from Benton, Maine, to Katie Boudiette from Quinnipiac University when Katie played up at the University of Maine, a two-game series, and I introduced in person, isn't that a blessing these days, in person, Kaylin Bork to Katie Boudiette. And that is a powerful thing. Sure. So to my earlier question about sort of inside, outside Maine nationally, it sounds like your athletes are not just in Maine. And I'm guessing probably would not be the greatest business practice to restrict yourself to just Maine athletes. Agreed. <laughs> yes. So it's it's a great point you make, Andrea, because if I'm going to grow the business, I need to be able to have other athletes and grow the network. I want to grow the network. And so the idea is that I do work with other athletes outside of Maine. Certainly New England is a good market for me, but I have just recently signed on two high school athletes from Minnesota. 
that are yeah. in their final year of high school and they want to play division one ice hockey and they know they need to build their brand and that's what they're exactly what they're going to do. And, you know, to your point, there's actually 16 states that allow name, image, and likeness activities at the high school level. That's eye-opening for anybody that doesn't know that this stuff is out there and exists. That's a pretty impressive number. And Minnesota, of course, is one of those states. Do you know the numbers on how many college athletes actually make it to pro and how long those professional careers last? So if you look at it, there are 98% of athletes that will not play professional sports. That means there's 2% that go on to play professional sports. We have got to support those other 98 athletes because when you're done with your career, that's a huge opportunity, but it can also be a big struggle mentally when you wake up that day and you say, I don't have to go to the gym today. What, what am I supposed to do now? That brings up a really good point, Greg. I'm just thinking when folks are done with their high school or collegiate athletic careers, or even when their professional athletic careers are done, which tend to not last very long, you know, I imagine that athletes struggle with depression or just not really great feelings at the thought of that career ending. Do you see those struggles in your athletes? And do you feel like this rule change can be a game changer in that sort of struggle with mental health that many athletes have to deal with? I do. I think it's a great question. And it's something we need to talk about a lot more across the world is that the mental health aspect of an athlete going from the confidence that they have in their sport, performing at the highest level. Now I have to transition to figuring out my professional career outside of sports. And that's where there can be mental health challenges. And one really good example of this is Colin Cook. He struggled coming out after college with what he was going to do in life. He struggled with addiction and he actually ended up turning his life around because he found triathlons. And when he found triathlons, he found a new way to find purpose in his life. And I can tell you today that Colin Cook is an incredible person. He has a great family. He is also, by the way, the number one ranked American in the 40 to 44 age group in the entire country and is competing in the Ironman World Championships. He is an incredible story, and he is exactly why athletes need to prepare for the transition. He's now a successful business owner, but it took him time. It took him time that he didn't have and he didn't have the resources or maybe the skills or even the direction that he needed. And now he's going to help other athletes recognize that there's going to be a time when you need to make this transition and you're going to want a game plan. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are to the detractors of this rule whose argument tends to be, you know, for collegiate athletes, their quote unquote payment that they're receiving is a free college tuition. They're receiving that education and that's sort of their payment for the work that they're doing for the university. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that argument against the name image likeness rule. Absolutely. So when you think about it, there are other industries or other opportunities that athletes don't get 
So if you think about it, if they're even artists right now, they can be out on Instagram and they can be promoting their artwork and their designs and everything that they're doing. But you're going to say an athlete can't do that. That's that's not fair to someone to say that. And the other the other thing that I think about with I talk with athletes every day that are struggling financially. When you get a scholarship, you you don't there's a lot of times that's not a full ride. People think that they're full rides. But a scholarship is, in many cases, not a full ride. They don't have full rides to give out to everybody. And I can even tell you that those full rides aren't for the four years. So there's a little bit of a misconception on what a scholarship is. And then I can also tell you that these athletes need to be able to offset some of their living costs because these athletes, they don't have time to go and try and do all the things that some of these other you know, students are allowed to do on campus because they're athletes. And so they're on buses. They're trying to get their studies in and they're trying to help the school by winning games. There's definitely an opportunity here for athletes to get what they deserve. So we talked a little bit about, you know, how long or frankly, how short pro careers are and how few athletes actually end up becoming a pro athlete. So I'm just wondering sort of the skill that you work on with the athletes to make them more kind of professionally marketable in their career. What are those skills and and how do you see them translating from the sports world and their kind of athletic world to the business world or to professional careers. Absolutely. So when you look at the length of a career in pro sports, you're probably, depending on the sport, you're probably looking at three to eight years. If you think about this opportunity for someone to develop skills, and we're talking about life skills here, that you mentioned, which in my mind includes social media, because that's essentially a currency now, is how name, image, and likeness stuff is happening. And I can tell you, if you're a high school athlete or your parents are listening right now, there are scholarships being lost because of your social media content. Those schools are looking at your Instagram. They are looking at your Facebook. They are looking at your Snapchats. And they're seeing what you've got out there. So I'm helping them with that, especially at the college level when they want to do these name, image, and likeness opportunities. Brands are not going to want to deal with amateur-type photography. They're not going to deal with blurry photos. They're not going to deal with silliness that is not going to reflect their brand. So an athlete needs to recognize that, that they're representing now more than just themselves when they put up a post. And it doesn't even have to be about that brand. It could be what they're conveying in what they do with their social media. But the other skills that come along with this are communication skills. So I'm going to help them with the communication skills. They're going to get sales skills. When we walk into a business and you've got to introduce yourself and share your story, you know, and market yourself as to why this relationship is going to work. That's an important skill to have as well. And I'm of course teaching them the networking. So that's how I help these athletes is to figure out where they can go in life and the tools that they can have and the skills I'm going to give them from media training to message mapping to video and photography. I'll go and take photos and videos and we'll create a content catalog and you won't have to be busy during your season and you're going to be able to use photos I took of you two months ago. 
So it sounds like, you know, a lot of what we had talked about earlier was just really making them think about their business acumen and the and the business side of what their career will be like much earlier to give them that earlier leg up in their lives. I'm, you know, I, I as you're starting this company, you're, you know, it's, it's we're essentially a year into this name, image, likeness, or nil rule at this point. What sort of lessons did you learn as you were starting this, as you were starting this company? I think one of the biggest takeaways I've had after one year is the lack of education that these athletes have to be in a position to work with national or local brands or local companies. So there's number one, the education for the athletes that's not there. And a lot of that is because the institutions are in a very tough spot because they've been told by the NCAA, you cannot induce and you cannot use nil as a recruiting tool. So then they really don't talk about it because they don't want to get in trouble. So then they can't really provide the education to these athletes. And so then they're left on their own. And the other thing that I've noticed is, especially here in Maine, is that brands and businesses have not caught on to the opportunity to work with athletes who will help promote your business or your brand by using their social media accounts. And that's the most local targeted marketing you can have and you get to support a main athlete. I guess I feel like that is a natural sort of unawareness because it's never been allowed before. So do you feel like that's sort of starting to shift? It is starting to shift. And I would encourage any business that's out there right now listening to this podcast to create a college ambassador program. Some businesses have already done this, okay, nationally and locally as well. But you can actually start to have athletes apply to be part of your program. And you could give them gift cards. You can give them coupons to hand out on campus. You could work with them to be in commercials, print materials, et cetera. And that's going to be far better than having a stock model that nobody knows who that is. I have to assume that... <laughs> For you as a business owner, the ultimate goal would be to have a pliable athlete, be somebody that signs a, a million or a multi-million dollar contract and, and is, you know, uber successful to the heights of, of what their career allows. But I also think back to many conversations that I've heard about professional athletes that don't understand money management and then go broke when they're short, what ends up being a short career for many of them. Ends. So I'm curious, do you feel any responsibility with that being your goal for the athletes? Do you feel any responsibility with providing them that sort of monetary education as well? You've talked about a lot of the educational components of what you work with your athletes on. Is there any responsibility on you to sort of help them understand responsible wealth management or responsible money management? Yes, I do feel that responsibility. And that's one of the things I'll talk about with them when I have my first meeting is I ask them, are you responsible with money? And, and sometimes they'll say, I, I think so. And uh, I'll also ask them if they have a tax professional. I'll also ask them, you know, do they have a financial planner? Because that's where this conversation needs to start. And if they don't, then I can connect them with my network of people that I can help them with and say, all right, well, I see growth for you in this area. 
And let's get this set up now because there's also things, if they go on to be successful with name, image, and likeness, and they're making a significant amount of money, there are going to be some taxes that they're going to need to be aware of that they have to reflect when it comes for tax time. Certainly the, the NIL rule is very new. Where do you see the future of NIL going? And then I guess that kind of coincides with my question about where do you see the future of, the, of your brand or brands like yours that, that help athletes with this? Sort of where do you see both of those trending? So I think when it comes to name, image, and likeness, I think that we're going to see a lot more athletes start to do it. I think that, yes, the Power Five schools are going to get a lot of the attention and the multi-million dollar deals potentially, okay? And that's going to maybe even restructure, quite honestly, the conferences in the NCAA. But I do think there's going to be more legislation that's going to come. I think that there will be more education that's going to eventually come down the road. But I think that right now, the way I look at it is you should position yourself for success no matter what you're going to do in your career. And you can do that through name, image, and likeness opportunities. So, Greg, with your company being sort of very new along with the NIL rule change, I'm just wondering, have there been any unexpected things that have caused you to adjust? Maybe that you thought were going to go one way and ended up having to go a different way and you really had to shift where you were going with that. Does that happen within Pliable yet? Yeah, it has. It has. So when I started the company, I started thinking about pro athletes kind of right out of the gate in the fact that I could help build their brand. And I knew that name, image, and likeness was going to be a factor, obviously. That's one of the reasons why I, I built Pliable. And what I've started to realize with college athletes is that I have to provide services that meet their budget. And this goes back to the conversation about scholarships and thinking that these athletes are living in a wonderful world and that they have plenty of money and that they're doing well. And I can tell you that in many cases, I will talk with athletes and they tell me, I just can't, I'm not in a position to afford what you can offer. And so what I ended up doing was adjusting my package so that it became more affordable for college athletes and high school athletes, by the way to be able to afford the services that I offer at a very high level, but I just had to bring it down to provide less of them so that then it is affordable. And the other thing I think is very important to mention at this point is that I have Mission E50. And Mission E50 was started by me because of my daughter and actually because of Kaylin Bork. I've seen the inequality in women's sports. And it drives me nuts because I'll tell you the story of Kaylin Bork walking out on the ice for the first time out of the tunnel. She gets ready to go on the ice and she's wearing a jersey that says Black Raiders on it. So I sit there and I type out a tweet and says Black Raiders against Lewiston tonight. You know, here's Kaylin Bork. And her mom sends me a message and says they're actually called the Black Tigers. She says those are the hand-me-downs from the boys team. And because they're a co-op team in girls ice hockey, they have blended their name so that they reflect all the schools that they're part of. And so they're known as the Black Tigers. And when I heard that, that was the first time I kind of saw more of this, but I've seen it with my daughter. I've seen it with other athletes. So I started Mission E50, which is to increase the popularity of women's sports. And so to this day, 
and for the future of this company, I will always represent more than 50% female athletes. And that is something that I take very seriously. That's a powerful story. So as we wind up our conversation, Greg, you've talked a lot about how there can be nothing more local than local athletes helping companies brand themselves. So, I, you know, the majority of our listeners listening today are going to be business owners, people who are in business, making decisions on business. Can you maybe give a little bit of thoughts on what specifically these athletes can do to represent our local companies? I mean, Maine is a very local state, right? So what can these companies do to partner with local athletes to represent local brands, to grow local brands, to how does how does that work and and how can these companies sort of become more involved in that absolutely so when you think about it you definitely have to start with social media that's where a lot of this name image and likeness is happening if these businesses whether you're small whether you're large can create a college brand ambassador program set yourself up for success have requirements of a certain amount of social media post how that athlete's going to be you know reimbursed for those. That's an important piece of this is social media. So that's where it starts. But then you can grow it and you can grow it to be a spokesperson. You know, if you if you feel comfortable enough with that athlete to be a spokesperson, you can then grow it to have them wear your merchandise and promote your products. You can give them a promo code to then get a commission for selling your products, which will highly incentivize them to then make more posts and give them a 15% off discount code and allow more people to buy products, okay? So those are a few examples. I also think that when it comes to networking, I can tell you that if you go into a business meeting and you've got an athlete at your side who you can say is representing our company and we wanted to bring her to this meeting today to help with this relationship in whatever way you're gonna do it, that's a powerful statement. Because when the athlete's in the room, the game changes. I can tell you that right now. And I can tell you that because when I walk into businesses, when I do what I call athlete outreach tours, where we go and I take the athlete into a business that they want to do a local deal with, and that business owner meets that athlete in person, that's when the contracts get signed. Because that athlete has that presence that nobody else has. And that's an important piece. This has been a production of MainBiz. Find out more about this podcast and other MainBiz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank. The MainBiz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Allison Mason, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing design by Matt Selva. Subscribe to the MainBiz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2022.